You're listening to Working, the show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman, and I want to apologize in advance for my slightly hoarse voice this week. Uh, The Slate staff was out late last night doing karaoke. Uh, It was for celebration, and I went hard on Smells Like Teen Spirit. A little bit of vocal cord shredder there. Anyway, we are coming close to the end of our series on Colorado's legal cannabis industry. And for this week's episode, we are heading back to Terrapin Station in Boulder, Colorado, where I'm going to be talking to Caitlin Edwards. If you've been listening to the episodes we've aired so far in this season, you may have noticed a lot of people complaining about red tape, about the bureaucracy they have to deal with in this highly, highly regulated industry. Caitlin is sort of on the front lines of that. She handles two jobs at Terrapin Station. Uh, The first is she's the community liaison, but also she's the head of compliance. She's the person who has to deal with all of the forms they have to fill out when they want to renew a license. And when they want to change the layout of one of their stores slightly and have to go through the local regulator, it's really, really minute, nitpicky stuff, but it's also really fascinating and gives you a sense of just how carefully watched these dispensaries are. And I think it gives you perspective on some of the things that you heard other people in the series talk about a bit more generally. I hope you enjoy. What's your name and what do you do? My name is Caitlin Edwards. I'm the community liaison at Terrapin Care Station, as well as the licensing and compliance specialist. So unpack that for me. What exactly does that mean you do for your job? Okay, well, they're two separate roles. I'm the only person to ever wear both hats. The community liaison operates beneath the director of government affairs, the lobbyist. And also, I personally think the big aspect in the cannabis industry, but I can't speak for the whole cannabis industry, but but for Terrapin Care Station, community outreach is really important to us as a way to legitimize us as a company and as a business and to show communities that we operate in that we're not drug dealers. We're not members of the cartel coming in to give your kids weed so that you know their brain development is stunted. Like We're actually a good company that's here to support local organizations and chambers of commerce. So the need for a community outreach position came about because of that outlook that Terrapin Care Station has. So the director of government affairs was doing all that community outreach stuff on top of lobbying and like pretty much altering all of marijuana policy in Colorado and federally. So they wanted um, an intern. So I interned actually kind of doing that role. And then when I graduated college, they hired me on as a community liaison. Wait, so you got an internship with a dispensary? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, Terrapin Care Station is a dispensary along with yeah. a cultivator and a processor. You're and in Vertically integrated yes. company. Mm-hmm. I, I'm using just dispensary as shorthand there. But is that common? Do a lot of people now intern with marijuana companies? In, in I don't know anyone else who did it, but I think it is becoming more and more common. I, my friends are really jealous. And I know a couple people who, after hearing that, like, wait, that's a thing, had sought internships with huh. cannabis companies. Um, I, I guess I don't know why I'm surprised by that. Like, why wouldn't they use internships? Yeah, it's Definitely. Like it's just in any other company that needs help. And yeah, I think the one thing that people might be confused by is I got the internship through University of Colorado's lead school of business. So the fact that a federally 
funded public university was advocating for, hey, you should apply for an internship with a marijuana company might seem a little bit. A little, yeah. Like you're skating on thin ice with that. But the program director for the university really likes Chris and Terrapin. Chris, sorry, Chris is our CEO. Okay. But was is a big advocate for Terrapin Care Station specifically, but for the cannabis community as a whole. So she had no problem with yeah, like marketing it. the position. So to universities our students. here are already saying, "Hey, go find careers in this industry." Yeah, DU University of Denver is private, so they actually have a lot more authority to offer classes and stuff regarding cannabis. So there's a cannabis journalism class at DU. Really? Mm-hmm. And they have a law class about it, and I think a business class about cannabis too. And then I know CU's law school also offers a cannabis law class. And then as far as the medical side goes, I know there's some stuff, but I can't speak to that as much. So you interned and ended up in this position as community liaison, but then you also do this compliance officer role. Mm -hmm. So tell me briefly what that is. So it first turned into just like licensing, which essentially we can't operate if we are not licensed by the state. And if the locality that we're in as well, if the that city chooses to have a licensing program in place, some of them don't. The ones in Colorado that we operate within do. So you have to go through you know, a big process to initially get the license and prove that you have the financial suitability or that you will contribute to the community and that you are just a solid business and you can get a license. It's It's a little bit more complicated than that. But yeah, on its face, like that's how it would go. And then every, you have to maintain those licenses throughout the year. And so, is that a matter of you have to do certain things to maintain it or you have to not fuck up to maintain it? Well, every year you have to go through the renewal process. Okay. Which can, I mean, it depends on how big your company is and how many entities might be associated with your company and all of that and how many owners might like the ownership structure, the the corporate structure in general, it can get really complicated organizing all of that as well as if we want to in any way, like modify our locations, if we want to add a new POS, if we want to point of sales, point of sale system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we want to take down a wall, if we want to go from unit B to unit A and take over both of those units, anything like that, we have to get approved by the city and the state before we can do that. If you want to change the layout of your store, Mm -hmm. you need to go through a regulatory process. Mm -hmm. It's called the modification of premises. And you have to do it with the, it depends on how big of a process it is. The state will sometimes be like, no, we really don't care. Do what you got to do. But the city will be like, yeah, you have to go through us. And we have to, like in Boulder, the city of Boulder where we're in currently, (laughs) you have to have the police department, the building department, and the fire department all come out and approve. And then the licensing department will then at that point go through their process of approving it. And it takes like months. How small a change would that apply to? Are we talking like moving some registers around or are we like, how how minute? Yeah. It can depend. It is in code and statute, but sometimes like we're dealing with it right now with the city of Boulder. I don't want to go too much into it, but it would be a minor modification of premises. Yeah. But because it's kind of a contentious topic, they're making it a major modification of premises. So yeah, it just kind of depends. Yeah. But if you're taking down walls and you're putting in all this extra sales floor space, that's going to increase your customer base. It's going to therefore increase sales like the they want to know about it. Same with grows. Like if you're adding more space to your grows because you're going to grow more weed and therefore have more weed available, like they want to know about that. That's huge. Adding new lights because new lights means more plants and more, you know, so yeah, you have to 
go through them. But if you want to, I don't know, maybe like move a window, maybe they might not have a problem with it. But honestly, you, they probably do. <laughs> but they might. <laughs> it's possible. Nine times out of 10, they're going to want some form of, you can't just do whatever you want. Interesting. So, you, so that's you, something I would do. Interesting. All right. Getting that process. And then the licenses and sales tax licenses, licenses for our scales. You have to have a license for your scale? Mm-hmm. To look how we measure how much the weight of yeah mm-hmm. yeah like, they have to be I think that's actually all around though I don't think it's weed specific for like, like, med- for like pharmaceutical scale kind of thing or I don't really know how you would define the scales but they're at the in our production facilities and they have to be licensed by the Department of Agriculture oh okay so stuff like you, that you are up to your neck in different just licenses and you. If anyone in America has a right to complain about bureaucratic red tape, it sounds like it's you. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe not me specifically, <laughs> but certainly this industry and certainly people that are in compliance departments. Yeah. It's a pain. Yeah. So, okay, your typical day. What are you spending most of your time on? Well, the thing is with that, people ask me that a lot, and it's very hard to give a straight answer just because this company and the industry in and of itself, but this company specifically, we're just always doing new things. And things are always changing. The laws are always changing. And the people in place are always changing. You know, like Governor Hickenlooper, he's going to be out. And that means a new administration is going to come in and they're going to have all new people who are going to have a whole new mindset on how marijuana should be regulated and how it shouldn't be. So it's just, it's something new every day. So it's really hard for me to just be like, I come in and do this, this, and this because I never really know. However, you can definitely generalize, but... <laughs> so, well, okay. Do you spend more... Would you say, for starters, do you spend more of your time with the kind of community liaison stuff or more of the time with the, you know, paperwork? Definitely and the, the paper, li- licensing, okay. compliance, administrative, paperwork type stuff. Yeah. So you just have... You come in every day and have a, just a bunch of emails about that, more or less. Yeah. Um, and it definitely goes through stages. Right now, is a really tough stage because so we have multiple licenses and one quarter of the year a couple of them will expire and therefore need to go through renewal and a couple of them the next quarter will expire and need to go through renewal and then the next couple of months and this month in particular happens to be when like 10 of our licenses expire so getting those done i'd say that's the first thing i do when i come in it's like okay have i what have i checked off the list of things i need to do for this renewal have i talked to so-and-so about getting this floor plans finalized have i talked to so-and-so about making sure where all of our taxes are all everything's cleared there do i have the official bylaws that we had for you know it's just always a million different things Mm -hmm. if you don't get a license renewed does that just you can't sell marijuana right no no that would be such a fiasco (laughs) <laughs> so no yeah i mean they that's what that means. you don't just let that go for sure yeah like if you and you'll no one i don't think there's a person in this industry who's ever been like yeah i just didn't renew like no no no, that's not how it works because you'll get fined first of all if you're late and you can't just do it upon the expiration date there's always a window so like the state you have to submit the renewal 30 days prior to expiration so you can't like do it at the last minute is what I'm trying to yeah. get at. And then if you, let's say you do go past that 30-day window, yeah, you get fined. And as time goes on, you get fined more and more and more. And then eventually, yeah, they'll be like, you're you're done. And then you don't have a license. And then, yeah, if you sell, do anything, operate in any way without having a license, you're that's you're, that's illegal. That's jail. Well, well I don't know if jail, but you're, you're hosed. You're hosed. You're <laughs> yeah. <done. laughs> yeah, you're not going to. 
Uh, also, licenses are expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, like, how much are they worth? I mean, it really depends on the market. Okay. Or, yeah, which particular city you might be operating within. Because a lot of cities have capped their licenses or when they initially opened up their market to allow for marijuana dispensaries or marijuana facilities in general, they put, you can only have, so Longmont, for example, I don't, have you heard of Longmont? Does that ring a bell? No. It's on the next city north of us, I guess. It's a smaller town, like a hundred thousand people. They recently dropped their ban on recreational marijuana sales. Or they lifted it, but said we're only allowing four licenses here. So it just really puts a cap on the market. So therefore, the the value of a license there increases because you don't have a ton of competition. It's you versus four be, other or yeah, three other people or three other town companies. Of 100, yeah. So in that case, I, a license is worth a lot of money. Denver, where you're one of like, I don't know how many, I don't want to have an incorrect number, but There's, one of a ton. For, for my scientific assessment, it appears to be one to two dispensaries per block. Yeah, that's what. It, so your the value of your license is less. But in terms, are you asking how valuable is a license, or like when you actually apply, like what yeah, does like, the government charge guess, you? Like, well, yeah, I guess is there like a market value on a license? Like, does anyone know? Like, you'll sometimes hear like a taxi medallion in New York is worth like a million dollars or something each because there's you know I guess there's a market they're traded. I yeah. guess Has anyone tried to like place a value on? on yeah, on because you license? can sell your license. Okay, so is there a sense like how much is a so. How much can a license be worth? Uh, it's speculative or it's a generalization, but I would say for sh- at least a million. Yeah. Just anywhere. And yeah. then but really valuable markets or markets where there's not a lot of competition and you're one of four, like that's going to definitely, I I mean, I don't, I wouldn't know too much, but I would say like 15 million. Seriously? That's what I would say, but I don't know. Millions. millions. We'll put it that way. Definitely millions. <laughs> But it's very dependent on a lot of different things. But mm-hmm. they're valuable. They're valuable. Very valuable. But in terms of like, oh, I think I'm going to get a license today. How much is the city or the city going to charge me and the state going to charge me? You're looking anywhere. And again, that's very dependent too. Because if the city's like, we're not going to put a cap on how many, but we don't want a lot. So we're going to increase the amount of money it's going to cost to get a license to try to decrease the amount of people who could get one. So they can go up to like... You have to prove, you know, $500,000 of available capital, which is really hard for people to do. Like more like boutique types dispensaries are already out of the, they can't even apply to get a license because they can't can't prove that they have $500,000 in capital just lying around. And then if they could do that, then they actually can go through with the license. I'd say it's between like 15,000 and like 50,000 to actually apply with the city and the state combined. So there's a financial hurdle there. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there's so many other components to it as well that are a huge financial hurdle. Getting a license to cultivate, to sell, to process in any state um, is going to be really expensive. And that's a definite issue. How much time do you spend dealing with lawyers? Me personally, not too much. Sometimes here and there, I might need some information from them. But our CEO and other higher up people, I'd say every day, all day. I don't want to say all day, but yeah. Yeah. Lawyers are big. You can't be in this industry and not have a solid lawyer or multiple lawyers to rely on. But I think that's probably how it is in every business. <laughs> yeah, some more than others. Yeah. But for here, for sure, it's a necessity. So what's the best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations. But if that's not on the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. 
I've used apps in the past to learn new languages, but when I came across Babbel, I wondered if it could help me refresh my knowledge of a language I once spoke well, but was now a little bit or quite a lot rusty. I have to say, I was impressed. The advanced lessons were really useful tips and idioms that can help with in-depth conversations on topics that I can actually imagine chatting about. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and the tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners, at babbel.com working. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com working, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash working. Rules and restrictions may apply. The community liaison part of your job. Is there still a perception among people in Colorado that you guys are out to sell weed to middle schoolers? For the most part, no, but you wouldn't be surprised, especially like this day and age where there's all these conspiracy theories and these crazy Reddit type sites where people just get it's black internet or whatever they call it the dark, dark internet the dark web black internet the dark web um so like one time i was at a city council meeting in longmont to try to advocate for them to lift the ban on recreational marijuana sales and some guy that came to speak upon the issue which he has every right to do as a citizen and just went on and on about how if Longmont lifts the ban on recreational marijuana sales, that means they're allowing the Mexican cartel to come to Longmont and that every person that works for these companies has some ties to the Mexican cartel and the homelessness population is going to vastly increase and the kids – like they, people really do think that. I don't think a huge majority at all. But they're but noisy. But they're there. And, and they, they'll come to these types of things. I was going to say, they're the people most likely to show up at the community meeting. Yeah, there was more people at that particular meeting advocating against it than for it. But the, it ended up getting passed regardless. And the people voted for it, like 65 to 45 or 35. <laughs> Whatever the math is. Majority. So do you find that, is that generally true that in most communities, the most vocal people now are the sort of the anti the anti like marijuana folks? It kind of depends where you're at. Longmont is a more conservative community. So yeah, it, Boulder's interesting. I don't know if you know too much about Boulder. Not a ton. It's, um, it's, it's college a, town. College town, Tech. definitely like hippie. People call it like the People's Republic of Boulder. It's just like its own little bubble outside of all of Colorado and it just operates in its own little. But there's a lot of very free thinking people here and they they love their city council meetings. So if there's anything on the agenda regarding marijuana, most of them are like for marijuana, but they're not for big business marijuana. So that's usually something you see at those types of meetings is then they consider you guys big business. Um, we've never I don't think we've really ever faced it personally. I don't think we've. Terrapin Care Station specifically would has gotten that bad. Yeah, no, because I mean we're local to Boulder, and the whole big business argument for cannabis in general is not very valid because we can't even have out of state 
investors for the most part. So when you were, I guess, doing your community liaison work, like what does that actually consist of on like a daily basis? What are you typically doing? A lot of it would be, so we have a lot of community partners and maintaining our relationships with them. You know, they reach out to us a lot and they're like, we're having this gala on this day. Would you guys like to come? And we're sponsoring this event. We would love a financial donation. Can we get something from you. And it's important for us to maintain those types of relationships. We don't want just a, here's a $10,000 check that we're going to give you once and then like, don't ever reach out to us again type of thing. Like if we had that initial support, like we really work to maintain it, especially if it's an organization that is in the same city that we operate within. So yeah, maintaining those relationships going to the city council meetings, all the very local stuff the community liaison would do because the state and the federal stuff is obviously more of a you know, priority and definitely a bigger hurdle. What kind of stuff do you sponsor? We're all over the board. Um, in Boulder, we are partners with out Boulder County, which is a, an LGBTQ plus organization, a lot of homeless outreach type organizations, community cycles. It offers bicycling programs and bicycles to people who normally wouldn't be able to afford bikes. A lot of performing arts organizations, reentry initiative uh, so for know, people. You guys who, do a lot. Yeah. I mean, we there's really no concentration in one area. We try to kind of be... So it's like the way a local chamber of commerce or like even like a big local pizza chain or something would like sponsor all, you know, the local 10K or uh, a program for the homeless. You guys do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that's your way of kind of getting goodwill. Yes. And we're also speaking of chambers of commerce. We're in every city that we operate within in Colorado, Oregon, and Pennsylvania. We are a part of all those chambers of commerce. Really? Mm hmm. How do the other members usually react to that, you guys? Oh, I don't think there's ever been an issue. Yeah? Yeah, but for sure anything, I've never faced anything. Boulder Chamber of Commerce, we're very close with the people there. And I'd say almost like every other event, we either sponsor or we're at in some way. And I've everyone's very... Well, it seems like your, your interests kind of mimic those of like any other small business in the end. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah, you guys have a lot of regulations to deal with and you you have to deal with, you know, inspections and, you know, red tape. And that's what, what else do chambers of commerce think, try to deal yeah, with all day, our, try to cut that stuff. Our values really align with the values of chambers of commerce. It's promoting small business. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do is just be a legitimate business, uh, lucrative. <laughs> what is your favorite part of your job i think i was gonna say the employee discount but it, that was a joke though but i don't know <laughs> i would say just being able to like not have this formal process in place and not have this trail that's already been placed by someone else like remember i was talking about like oh what do you do on a daily basis i'm like i who knows? Um, I think that's honestly great because I have a lot of friends who have corporate jobs and have to go in like it's multi-state business or multinational business and they have to wear, you know, like this is what I'm wearing right now, which obviously this is a podcast so no one can see, but like this is nice for a day-to-day -day thing at Terrapin. Like you wear t-shirts and jeans and um, You'd love blogging. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. I, yeah, I think that's great. And just like corporate culture, it's not – there's no like suit guys that are all – been around 
doing this forever because it's like guess what you couldn't do this forever because it's only been legal for 10 years medically in Colorado like so there's just not this really intense corporate stigma I guess and it allows you to have a space to be I think just more creative and to just feel less burdened by whatever someone did prior to you because more likely than not there wasn't even no one prior to you because everything's just so new so I, I would say that's my favorite part. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. What's the most stressful thing you deal with in the course of your job? Oh my God, I don't even... <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know like, how to even I... phrase. Just like the fact that everything I f- feel like hangs by a very thin string if that if i'm not good with those types yeah, of yeah, analogies you know I what i'm saying though Je- very trump and thread. jeff sessions could just literally end this all yeah like every day it's like we're i mean we're operating illegally technically at the federal level you know so every day you just never know and like same with like just the state and the city too i every day it's just you never know if the state's gonna come in and be like Mm-mm, nope we can't we're going to find you, you just, uh, we can, we are a very, like, very legitimate company that operates. By the book. Yeah, by the book, 100%. We don't even joke around with that. But, you know, some people in this industry, unfortunately, do, and it gives a bad rep for us. But point being, like, that's never going to happen to us. It's not. But, like, it could happen to one company, and next thing you know, everyone's taken out. So it's just, everything's just hanging by a very thin string, I think. So you guys are worried that there's just going to be, like, one horror story, and that's going to do in, or that's something that you worry about that, like, could one day do in the industry. I don't if- know if it would do in the industry, but it certainly doesn't help. There's there's one um, story that you should look into that I think is um, what I'm kind of basing all this off of. Oh, tell me, is, you tell me the story right now. Well, it's Sweet Leaf. Oh, yeah, Sweet Leaf has come up before. So yeah, yeah. yeah what what the hell happened? I mean, they were a big company, bigger than us, and they were letting customers come in and buy the. You know, you can only buy an ounce at a time, so they're like, okay, you can buy an ounce, but. That person would leave, hang out in their car for a bit, maybe go shopping, I don't know, go to Target, come back, buy another ounce. Leave, go, go do their laundry for 30 minutes, I don't know, come back, buy another ounce. Leave, come back, like all throughout the day, multiple days at a time, multiple people were doing this, and mo- a lot of them were out of state. So they're just racking up the weed, yeah. leaving to go to Kansas and selling it for three times more than they bought it for in Colorado. And Sweet Leaf ended up becoming just the company that, that did that. 
Like if you're in Kansas and are like, hey, dude, like, do you know where I can go to in Colorado that I can just buy? You know, Sweetleaf became that company, I guess, for and the, I think the city caught on and the state caught on and then they started an investigation. Yeah. So they got, so they got taken, they got taken down, right? Yes. But the industry has survived that. Like they, oh, you know, yeah. The industry has definitely survived it. And I'd say some people were probably, there's an argument to be made that it was probably good for the industry and that or it could prove that someone was doing something wrong but the enforcement division came in and took it down it's not this thing where you do something wrong and you're not going to get caught because they got caught so it was able to prove that legalization does work and there is a way to enforce and there is a way to crack down yeah, on the gray market state's activity not, the state's not just going to let this stuff thrive that they are actually going to enforce the rules and make everyone else play by them yeah and so it, i think it allowed for that but it, like me personally i was just kind of it, i just felt like it was like delegitimizing everyone else yeah so even if it's not even if a a few bad apples aren't going to you know, poison the entire industry, it still makes you all look bad. And, yeah, that's, that's how I feel. Is. There's a lot of companies that put a ton of resources into operating by the book 100% and without a doubt. And then that some other companies come in and don't do it. And then we all get a bad rep for it. But yeah, as far as the whole industry being taken down, because that, no, that's not going to happen. But like, you know, you never know. Jeff Sessions could have heard this story and been like, you see, this is why I don't like the marijuana industry. And the next thing you know, who, whatever is going on with <laughs> the federal government, you could have been like, this is I my see, opportunity to divert the your, attention. I see your mind racing yeah. through this scenario. I like, I, I, I'm watching the wheels turn. When I ask you, like, what stresses you out, I, like, I, I'm seeing it play out here. <laughs> like, this is, and I guess, yeah, you have a lot of this on your shoulders because you have to make sure, again, that you get to keep operating. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Well, for and then for me on a personal level, like the licensing stuff yeah. is, it might seem like benign, but it's actually a huge deal. Like I, if I accidentally screwed up on one thing, like that can be a $5,000 fine. That can lead to a $15,000 fine. That can lead to me getting fired. That can lead to a, a tarnish on our reputation and that we're going to have to keep reporting it to uh, if the state legalizes and we want to get in on that state, we're always going to have to say, oh, well, we got a fine yeah. for this because Caitlin didn't fill out the license renewal application correctly and we got fined for it. Now we're always going to have to say it because every new application always asks, have you ever had a license revoked? Have you ever been denied a license? Have you ever had a license suspended? Have you ever been fined? So we have to always say it. It's like a criminal yeah. background. It's like we, a check the box kind of thing. Yeah. And so, you know, I would, for me personally, I'm like, if I screwed up on something and now that means our company is forever going to have to check yes on that box. So that's my personal stress. <laughs> How long have you been doing this job again? A year. One year. And you joined the whole company a year ago? or No. I So I graduated college in 2017. And my senior year of college, I interned here. And then in May, when I graduated, they hired me on full-time as community liaison. And I took over licensing and compliance stuff September of 2017. So you're 23? Mm-hmm. It's yes. just, I would not have been able to deal with this at 23. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely would not have. I'm, I'm well, sort of in awe. Anyway, oh, okay. Well, yeah. thank you. <laughs> no one would have given me that much responsibility. Oh. <laughs> all right. This has been really fun talking okay, to good. you. And really, this is, th thanks so much for talking about all this. Yeah, no, thank you for asking. And I had a lot of fun too. 
That's it for this week's episode of Working. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Weissman. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. And if you have comments, questions, thoughts, suggestions, email working at slate.com. The producer for Working is Jessamine Molly. A special thank you to Justin D. Wright for the ad music. And uh, come back next time.